Minus three is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three, presented as always by Omaha. Hope you had a good weekend filled with sports and whatever else you like to do to fill your weekends up. We are here in March. And, oh, it's all happening, everybody. March Madness, the QB Carousel, the Oscars are awaiting us at the end of the week. Hope you've caught up on all your movies. We have bald Brian Bishop coming up from the Film Vault to break it down and provide the best bets in these upcoming Oscars, hosted by one Jimmy Kimmel. Like I say, on Sunday night before that, we're going to talk with Tate Frazier back once again on the ringer one shining podcast make sure you're subscribed to that this upcoming month especially we're going to go through some good plays there in conference tournaments and in the uh in the big tournament on the other side of this weekend uh, or this week of uh conference tournaments i'm excited for those as i always say those are my favorite things meantime the knickers have won how many in a row spaghetti nine is it nine nine now after that win uh, last night versus Celtics, huge win without jalen brunson and Luka Doncic and Devin Booker are dating or something like that. Is that what I saw? They're 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 getting intimate. I'm right there on the hardwood, I guess. I don't know what's going on with that. And the big news of Monday, Derek Carr to the New Orleans Saints. I got close. I said it was going to be the Carolina Panthers. I got the division right. We knew that the Saints and Panthers at least were chasing Derek Carr. It is settled hash now. He's not going to the Jets. Aaron Rodgers, we'll see if he decides he's going to go to the Jets or is it going to be Zach Wilson up there in New York in 2023? We're still waiting to hear what happens to Danny Dimes with New York's other football team. Spaghetti is confident that his gents will get that one wrapped up. The combine is in the books. But like we say, Derek Carr to the Saints, if this piques your interest, he is right now without question the best quarterback in that division. Obviously, other teams are going to do something about that. Jimmy G to the Bucks, perhaps replacing Tom Brady, which would be a neat trick and some fun irony, considering he was supposed to replace Tom Brady in Foxborough about six years ago. He may still end up replacing Brady just in a different part of football America. We'll see what happens there. Aaron Rodgers, I would still not be stunned if he landed in Charlotte, North Carolina. However, right now, the Saints with Derek Carr at the time of this recording Still plus 140 to win the NFC South. That's juicy. If you can get that now, given the lay of the land, I think that's a good play. Get in on that one. And that's it because I want to get into some college basketball now. A lot of people, we've been focusing on pro football primarily for the last few months. I think a lot of people, including Eddie Spaghetti, need a little primer on what they're about to look at this coming month because bracket filling goes on. It's Monday prior to the conference tournaments. A week from today, it's bracket filling out time at the office with the family and otherwise. So let's get some uh, some tips from our guy, Tate Frazier, then it's Bald Brian on the Oscars. But first, a quick break. Spoiler alert, you're not going to win every bet you place. But with Caesars Sportsbook, win or lose, every bet gives you reward credits and tier credits, which you can exchange for the best perks in the game. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app and start earning with Caesars Rewards. 
you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, the celebration rolls on with really one of the uh, number one guests in March Madness right now to be yapping with his podcast is back. One shining podcast on the ringer. Of course, it's our old pal. You can hear him next week with cousin Sal and the rest of the gang on against all odds. But right now you're going to hear him on minus three. It's Tate Frazier. What's the poop fella? How are you? Yeah, I'm fired up. Damashek. It's uh it's an honor to be here. My first time. I hope it's not my last time. Let's hope I can get it together. But uh shout out to our producer, Eddie Spaghetti for making it possible. And uh, look, it's March madness season. I'm ready to talk college basketball and anything you want to know. I can try to tell you what's going to happen, but this season is so insane. I have no idea. All right, well, let's see what we can get through here. It is a funny relationship you have. It's sort of like a married couple. Eddie Spaghetti loves Tate, but doesn't love college basketball, doesn't even watch it. It's sort of like, I think that's good for a marriage that you don't have the exact same interests. You know, very often you hear like, oh, this one's a keeper because she loves sports as much as I do. It's like, isn't it okay to have some different things going in your life so you have a reason to get away? Maybe that's why you and Spaghetti work so neatly. Right, and, and I think Spaghetti knows deep down that I was pulling for the Giants very hard in those two Super Bowls against the Patriots, you know what I mean? I got my Lawrence yes. Taylor connection with the Giants. So, you know, there, there's a lot of football that connects us, and like you said, it's nice to have a break sometimes from the spouse. So Spaghetti doesn't have to watch college basketball with me. We get a little break, and then we come back in the fall. Well, I'm not going to jive anybody, including you. I have been zeroed in pretty much all season on my favorite team, the Pitt Panthers. Yes, I am a polygamist, as uh, as your pal Simmons might call it. I went to Indiana University, so I keep my eyes on the Hoosiers. But ultimately, the heart has chosen the Pitt Panthers for me. If I had to choose, if they were to meet anywhere along the way in March Madness. And we'll talk about those Pitt Panthers in just a second. But UNC... One of the blue bloods. That's one of the storylines. Your your enthusiasm. The pod is back now. March Madness is on the way. 
dimmed a little bit, though, by the heels. Are they going to make the tournament right now? What do they need to do in the ACC tournament? Let's start there as one of the most popular brands in college basketball. Lay it on us. Yeah, Carolina basketball. I was there on Saturday in Chapel Hill for the Duke game, and uh, it was deja vu. It was the exact same game that North Carolina had at Cameron Indoor. Uh, They have a lead in the second half. It looks like they have a chance to win this game. It's right there for the taking, but then the final four minutes and 20 seconds, they don't score. Duke goes on a 6-0 run. The rest is history. John Shire now 2-0 against the Tar Heels, um, and Duke fans are celebrating they are trying to make everyone forget what we saw last year and I don't blame them you know what I mean that's that's the right way to approach it and uh the crazy part about Carolina and the, the current situation is that Hubert Davis, the head coach, is an eternal optimist. So, uh, you know, after the game, Damashek, as you know, everyone in the media says, OK, well, North Carolina lost that game. They had a Q1 opportunity. Now they're officially out of the tournament. They, they tell Hubert Davis that fact. He says, I don't think so. I don't believe that. And uh, maybe he knows something that we don't know. But uh, at this point in time, I think Carolina, the only path to get to the tournament is to win the ACC tournament, uh, a very old school 1980s way to get to the NCAA tournament back before it expanded. So um, maybe that's fun for fans because you have to win these games. And this group in general, that this core four, obviously Brady Manick was on the team last year and it's now moved on playing in Australia. Actually, I think he's now in Turkey, but that's besides the point. But this core four guys, when their back was against the wall last year, that's when they came together and made something happen, made some magic happen. A lot of Carolina fans are still deep down hoping that's possible. I'm not really sure I see it, um, but, you know, crazier things, stranger things have happened in the world of college basketball. Before we remember, 40 years ago, 1983, the NCAA, the NC State Wolfpack. They I was just going to mention it. I was I, I that's crazy that we would be on the same wave, wavelength to that degree, because that is the first conference tournament I remember. Besides, I'm so old before there was a Big East. Yeah, there was the Eastern eight. And my team was in that and Villanova was in it. And there were some other teams and uh, that one set aside the 83 Wolfpack running all the way through the ACC tournament to gain entry into March madness was my first, my first recollection. And it's why I think I still hold the conference tournament week more precious than I do even the tournament that follows it. I love it so much. Um, so you, so they got to go all the way through it. It really is weird. We could focus yeah. in, and, and I know you do, on on your heels, but in in a slightly more expanded way, do you have any explanation for why the blue bloods have collectively? I know UCLA looks nice right now and everything, but for the mo- why they've dipped, why UK and Duke has regressed. They're going to go to the tournament. Duke is obviously, but. Do you why have they dipped and which of the blue bloods do you anticipate getting back to where they belong or where we anticipate they should be every year in the top 10? Yeah, I think Kansas, we can take them out of this conversation because Kansas okay, right. has not fallen off at, at, at all and obviously won the national championship last year. Could have won in 2020 if we had a tournament. They were such a good team that year. So Kansas will put them, them to the side. Obviously, the FBI stuff probably is, has its own conversation there with those guys. But the the, the other Blue Bloods, um, you know, in general, the transfer portal has changed everything. Um, and if you look at the ages of some of these rosters in college basketball, they'll blow your mind. You know, I was watching Memphis yesterday playing Houston, DeAndre Williams, who is the center for Memphis, he's 26 years old. 
You look at your Pitt Panthers, right? The average age of that team is 20, over 23. They're, they're older than the OKC Thunder as a roster. Drake, the Bulldogs, who just clinched their ticket. Well, Pitt, by the way, they looked very old trying to rebound the basketball against the, the spry Canes on yeah, Saturday. Sometimes that age will, will come back to bite you, but I think that the transfer portal and getting veteran guys to come to these programs and you can kind of build a team, construct a roster in an offseason – that has thrown the blue bloods a little bit out, and it's it's thrown that advantage away. And then also, if you bring in, let's look at Duke for example. You bring in Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead, Derek Whitehead. So these guys, number one in the class, number two in the class, and they have not performed up to that expectation. So now you're behind the eight ball. You see John Shire a couple weeks ago. He did like a story in the Athletic where he's talking about how he's going to change the way that Duke recruits. They're going to be trans. They're going to get in the transfer portal. They're going to go for older guys. Um, so I think just the the philosophy for the Blue Bloods. Calipari has obviously made a big pivot. He went from the one and dud to now he's in the portal and bringing guys in. So. It's a fine line of trying to get it right where you have this young talent, but you also have the savvy vets that can make it work. The Blue Bloods are still tinkering, and I think some of the the teams that are I deem new bloods, right, they have figured out the system uh, better than most. And, uh, you know, coaches like Eric Musselman, even before he went to Arkansas and Nevada, he was building rosters like with the Martin twins who come from NC State, and then all of a sudden they're going to the Sweet 16. They're making runs, and now Nevada's a team that you got to worry about. So... The Blue Bloods in general, they were behind the eight ball as far as the sign of the times. I think they sat on their laurels a little bit and thought that uh, it would all work out because, again, look at look at look at who we are. We're the Blue Bloods. And uh, and now they're trying to catch up. And and it's kind of opened the door in a fun way um, because it isn't so monotonous. But as I say that, we have to remember that last year in the final four, it was four Blue Bloods. It was Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina and Duke. So we're not really that far away from, you know, uh, you know, the tr- traditional blue bloods being great. But in general, you have to give credit to these teams that have been able to put rosters together. And your Pitt Panthers, is they're a great example. Like Jeff Capel went in the transfer portal and said, let me build a team and, and let's see what happens. And look at them now. They have a chance to make a run in the tournament potentially. Yeah, we'll see. They have to get into that tournament. That's a fascinating point you make about the the blue bloods rightly, I suppose, would say in a vacuum like, well, we get all the the one and done kids, the, the one and done eligible kids. We get the bet. We get the, all the blue chippers to come our way. We're not going to dip into the transfer portal. That does seem like dirty, you know, seconds or something like that. To do well, that that's that's for second and third rate yeah, teams, not, not us. us. Yeah. But I guess you do have to adapt to, to to your point because practically, I do think it makes a difference if a kid is talented in twenty three versus talented in eighteen. I think that there is some grown man strength that uh, that probably works out there before we dip into broader stuff just yes or no pit panthers in the tournament could they lose in their in the first round whoever they play florida state or georgia tech could they lose that game and still go do they have to win one do they have to win that and beat duke in the second round of the acc tournament how say you I think if they win one, they're in. I I personally think they're in even if they lost in the first round. I think they should be in. But we live in a world now where, you know, based on the Kim Poms of the world and the KPIs of the world and all these analytics sites, right, and the net, which was created by the NCAA, even though we don't know the algorithm, they will not release the formula. They don't want us to know the formula. So we live in a world where the ACC is now valued behind the Mountain West, right, as far as the, the conference tiers. And that obviously because, is because of the fact they have a team like Louisville, who is the worst Power 5 team in the country, won no road games this year for the first time since 1940. 
So when you have a team in the 300s, that brings the entire conference down. And that is uh, created this weird situation where a team like Clemson, who finishes third in the ACC regular season, is not even on the bubble in some places, right? They're like, they have no chance to get in. And then you look at the Big Ten, and I'm looking at their conference tournament seeds. Wisconsin is a 12 seed in the Big Ten tournament. And then you forecast and you look at Joe Lenardi, who's Mr. Bracketology, and the Wisconsin Badgers are an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. Make that make sense. A team that is 12 seed in their conference tournament is going to be an 11 seed in the national tournament. Amazing. It, it, that is the... This weird common sense. We've lost common sense in college basketball. And I think, you know, obviously Pitt lost some games early in the season in November and December that got people, you know, riled up about the fact they don't deserve to be in. But also I am uh, of the mind that why are we valuing November, December games more than February, March games? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so from my vantage point, obviously I'm an ACC guy too. So maybe there I'm a little bit, you know, blinded by my own bias. But I think Pitt definitely should be in the tournament. And even if they lost in the in the first round of the ACC tournament, I could still make an argument that they get in. But win one game, and I think you're secured and locked in. Tough love. I, I do think, you know, I abide by the same philosophy as you. What happens in November shouldn't count as much as what happens in late February. But if you lose three in a row, I will I will hear the case against the Pitt Panthers or anyone else. I like the else. last 10 games. That used to be what the committee sure. would get, like the, the record of the last 10 games. And I think that gives you kind of an idea of where they are. I still think Pitt has a lot of talent. Um, I really do. I'm hoping that they haven't run out of gas. But, you know, we'll see when they get to Greensboro if they can make a little run. Um, more globally, as I say, let's help Eddie Spaghetti and anyone. A lot of people have been, I don't know if you heard, and I don't think this will hurt your feelings. A lot of people focus in on pro football till right around now yeah, and exactly. are just starting to tune into college basketball. So let's as quickly as we can quick primer, what tournament you can only watch one conference tournament, which one does Tate want to watch? I know you're leaning towards the ACC for reasons we've just covered there, but which do you figure will be the most compelling um, one to set your eyes on this next week. I think as far as basketball, the best conference in basketball is the Big 12. They have 10 teams that, you know, legit could go into the tournament and you can talk yourself into them making a, a run to the second weekend. And you probably have, in my opinion, three or four teams that could actually win the national championship. And, and mm. that is wild to say about one conference in particular. So the Big 12, once you get to the quarterfinals of that tournament, you're talking about teams that are all going to be in the big tournament. They're all trying to just help themselves with seeding. Maybe there's a team like a West Virginia that's trying to fight their way off the bubble and get into the tournament, which is insane that a team that finishes, I think, you know, five and 11 or whatever it was in their conference could potentially, you know, make the NCAA tournament. But that's just the strength of the Big 12. So the Big 12 will be fun to watch, trying to see if Kansas, who won the regular season, can go and win the tournament as well. Um, they could go three for three in, in reality. Kansas could win the regular season Big 12, tournament Big 12, and then win the national championship. And I wouldn't bat an eye because they're that good of a basketball team. So the Big 12 has my attention. And then the other tournament that really has my attention that I think is going to be a lot of fun is going to be the Pac-12 tournament. Um, mm. And I know that UCLA, they won the Pac-12 regular season by four games. That was historic. That was the, the biggest margin that they've ever had in the Pac-12. So kudos to Mick Cronin. They were undefeated at home this year, 17-0. But I think going to Las Vegas, seeing, you know, some of these teams in the Pac-12, like uh, Washington State, for example, a team that went to Arizona and got a big win, a team like Oregon, who blew out you know, Arizona this year as well. Maybe I'm just all the teams that blew out Arizona, they have my attention. But I think there's a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that are very talented, and they know this is their one shot to make a run at the dance you know, outside of the top two with Arizona and UCLA. So 
I just think it's going to be fun matchups. I think there's a lot of talent in the Pac-12 that kind of gets overlooked for whatever reason. And we haven't had a West Coast champion since, since 1997. Wow. Um, and I think with Arizona and UCLA, we have a real chance that that could change this year. Tommy Lloyd's one of the best coaches in the country. He just tied Bill Guthridge's record, uh, first two seasons, regular season wins, 58. Very, you know, insane. And it's not like Tommy Lloyd took over for Mark Few at Gonzaga the same way that Guthridge took over for Dean Smith at North Carolina. He went to a new program, had to kind of restart things with NCAA cloud hanging over him from Sean Miller and is still able to deliver. So Arizona, UCLA, they could win the national championship. So if if you buy into West Coast basketball and you want to buy the dip on, on, on that conference, I think watch the Pac-12 tournament. That might be fun to see. I I love that. And can I tell you something? Before Tate even said it, I swear it in my heart and in my gut, Eddie Spaghetti and anyone else, <laughs> Arizona was going to be my, I guess, I don't know if that counts as a sneaky good pick to That's win it all, but I like Arizona a lot. I've been watching them. Now I get the argument against the cynic says, well, UCLA and the Wildcats are the only two real good teams in the Pac-12. But then again, you could say the same thing about the Houston Cougars, right? And they're Absolutely. the number one team in the land. What is the math on that? Yeah, I, it, Do you like the idea of just in an overarching way? I guess it's it's the lazy basketball fans way of doing things. Is there merit in your book as you sit down one week from today, filling out your brackets? Literally one week from today, people will be doing that. Yeah. Um, do you buy the idea of like ride an entire conference or fade an entire conference as you fill out your brackets and start making your wagers? And if so, only one which one are you, which yeah. one are you riding with and which one are you fading in 23? There's only one conference that I'm fading and it's, I've been fading them. I think since I even knew what that meant, maybe back in freshman year high school in like 2007 or something, but you know, th that is the big 10. I will fade the mm. big 10 until proven otherwise. The big 10 continues to uh, beckon back to 2000. They want to make sure that, you know, they won a championship this century. And we're like, yes, we do remember the Flintstones. They were great. Love Tom Izzo. But again, that was 23 years ago. They try to claim the, the Maryland championship in 2002. Now that Maryland's in the big 10, but we all know, that that Gary Williams flex offense was in the ACC um, and that's where they got their you know their grit that year to go get the win over Duke so in general um, the Big Ten until proven otherwise um, I, I am going to fade them I do think that the Big Ten has maybe one team that can make a final four run whether it's Purdue or Indiana you could talk yourself into a few teams but if you just look at the way they beat each other up in conference uh, on Saturday with Northwestern. Northwestern, if they lost, they would have been the nine seed in the tournament, but they won, and now they're the two seed in the Big Ten. So that is just how jumbled up they are. I don't, I don't think they're a bad conference, but I do think they beat up on each other. And then when we get to, you know, the NCAA tournament, the Big Ten is consistently, you know, they've been, you know, the they've been second pretty much all the time, right? They'll get to the final four and they get to the title game. And then, you know, it all goes downhill from there. So I would fade the big 10 and then the big 12 is obviously, I think everyone would answer and say, that's, that's the sure. Guy. Right. Really so right. you, but I feel like, you know, one of what, you know, some of the cliches that people apply, people jumping into college basketball around this time every year, one of the cliches is guard play is what wins. It's funny because the bigs become more valuable when they aren't so valuable at the next level, guys like, which is part of the reason why I'm a little flummoxed by what happened to UNC this year with Baycott in there, um, should have been a, a decisive advantage most nights, I would have thought, going into the season. You would have thought. Um, but 
you know, so Purdue has a difference maker there. I also think if you're looking at guard play, Jalen Shafino Hood is as a freshman is is coming on, and I can really see that Hoosiers team, and that's not bias. I really can see if you buy that depth and guard play matters, then the Hoosiers have a real chance of making a run there. What player should we keep our eye on this week that you think projects through the next month as being someone to keep an eye on? Or it could be, you could reel off one name, you can reel off four names. Who are the intriguing X-factor guys that people are going to learn about over this next month? I think a guy like for Purdue, Mason Gillis, right? He is a great X factor. He hit nine threes in a game this year. So he is someone that, it, you know, Purdue is an interesting team because like you said, they have probably the national player of the year in Zach Eady, a guy who is because of his height, the fact that he's able to get position whenever he wants to, he can dominate a game. Um, they have a backcourt of two freshmen, which worries me whenever teams have been have been able to put pressure on Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. They have looked like freshmen. So I think in the mm. tournament, you get in an 8-9 game and a team decides, like an NC State, for example, they say, hey, what what do we have to lose? We're going to we're going to press these guys all game. And that's what Kevin Keats does. And I worry about that backcourt. But someone like Mason Gillis maybe could save them in a game just by getting hot. So he's a name to look out for. As far as bigger names that I think is going to maybe take over this tournament, I think Uzelis Tubelis, uh, who is at Arizona, he is a guy that, um, you know, is obviously in the conversation with the Wooden Award and things like that, but maybe lost a little bit in the shuffle. Um, but he is so talented. And my favorite version of Arizona is when Kirk Creesa is playing shooting guard and not point guard. And I think when Tubelis is getting the ball and starting the break, very similar to a Jokic, where he's almost like a .5 or a .4 because they have Balo, who is the five. I think that they are a great high-low team. Um, I think they can play out of the post. I think they can get good shots. And I think they can kind of control the tempo of a game because they're so, they're so in shape, these bigs, and they run the floor so well that you really have to you have to deal with it. You have to put up with it. And you're going to be gassed because they're so in shape. And they have this guy, Boswell, um, who is, I think, their real point guard. And he's sort of, you know, getting some confidence. He played really well against UCLA. So Tubelis would be one of those guys. And then on the flip side, UCLA, Jaime Jaquez um, and Jalen Clark. They're two wings, right? They're two guys that can lock up anybody. They get a lot of deflections. They get a lot of steals. Um, and so I think if you have a Jalen Clark and a Jaime Jaquez on the wing, you have a a really good chance but then if you have I think the best front court in the country with Amar Balo and uh, Zuelas Tubelas then um, you know th those would be the guys that I kind of lean on and as you can tell I have uh, I have been definitely swayed, persuaded a little bit by my West Coast uh, basketball watching because I really think those two teams have what it takes to win a national championship and the coaching too, right? I mean, I think Mick Cronin's one of the best coaches in the country, and I don't I don't say that in jest, I don't say that sarcastically, and I thought that might be the case when he got hired, and then Tommy Lloyd, as I said, he's been amazing. So uh, when you have the coaching and you have the talent, um, yes, it's great to have the guard play, it's great to have a defense. Th those are the things that really check the boxes, but I could see. Uh, uh, those guys becoming big stars and and getting some NBA shine that they maybe wouldn't get before. Man, I agree with you. It's a funny thing that the crosstown rival of USC who took Pete Carroll as like their third or fourth option. Same thing goes at UCLA yep. and it is a sustainable style of ball that is proving to be winning. But I hear you. You know who I said? You mentioned him. You're making me feel smart. Kerr Creesa, I think, is one of those X-Factor guys yeah. who, who could shoot Arizona out of some trouble spots along the way. I think they get to the final four. Okay, just a couple more things real quick, because you mentioned Oregon. It occurs to me their floor is so awful 
their home their home floor. What's worse, that floor or Boise State's blue football field? Ooh. I think both need to be. We celebrate them, and instead we should we we should be casting aspersions on them. Not everything is good. Not everything new is good. This is bad and eyesore. Even yeah. I can't watch games up there. And I feel bad for Dana, you know, with, with Oregon, because he's such a great basketball coach. The fact that he has to coach on that floor, I feel like is, is almost like a bit or something. It just seems insane. It seems dumb. And it's unbecoming. Right. right. And for it to be Nike University, this is what Nike's putting out to the public. I don't get it. I know they want people to talk about it. So by us talking about it, they're like, we won. <laughs> they're talking about the court. That's all they ever wanted in this situation. But the blue field, for whatever reason, I wasn't as upset about it. I, you know, I didn't know much about Idaho anyway. So when they when they showed me Boise State for the first time and Jared Zabransky and, you know, the uh, that, that whole, you know, 2007, I think it was the Sugar Bowl. You know, I kind of was like, all right, at Boise State, I'll, I'll give you a pass here. I like Chris Peterson fine enough. So I'm going to go with Oregon. Please fix your court. Make it a regular court or, or do something like Vanderbilt. Have the benches on the baseline. Do something like that. No, no, oh. no. That's awful, too. Now you're coming up with bad, worse ideas. You're not fixing anything. Same thing is as uh where the gophers play too yeah. their chins are on the floor what the hell is going on i don't on? like is that it- i don't like that either that 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 frustrates me even in the title games right when they're they're playing in the big domes and and they're not even on the on the court level i mean that that's frustrating as well so yeah it's all bad whenever you try to do something uh just to get attention or just to you know get people peaked i i usually don't like it now that i think about it yeah right i think Oregon has jumped to the top of the pile now. Worst eyesore out there. Vanderbilt with its it's got it's got like drapes on the one side and like the the players sit about like a half mile away from the floor. It's all terrible. Okay. Last thing is this. And I don't know. You you can just run through them because what we're looking for is some, some good wager counsel here from Tate Frazier. Everybody loves to talk about, oh, this team might be dangerous. If you only have one team that you think can win the national championship, in fact, you just said there are two teams in the Pac-12 and four or five in the Big 12, run through them because it's a relatively short list. Even if they only have a 1% chance of winning the national championship, give us the finite definitive list of teams that actually can cut down the nets. Okay, here we go. Because, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, I think there's really like seven or eight teams yeah. probably that can win the national championship. I think this year we're we're maybe in the range of 12 to, to 15 just because of the variance and the variability okay. of the shooting. A lot of teams shoot a lot of threes now, as we all know. Thank you, Steph Curry. Um, but here, here are my big four that I, think- I like. I like fun bats, you understand. And I get a lot of crap for that. When it has a plus next to it, Damashek pays attention. I like <laughs> I, I like juiced up odds on teams. Yeah. Forgive me. So but it's not fun if there's zero percent chance. If there's one percent, it's fun. I think take it away. I think these are the ten percenters. I think these are the okay. guys that you really can bet on, and you say they're probably going to be in the final four. So there are four teams that I have. Kansas, I think, is the best bet. If you really just want to take the favorite and you really want to have the confidence that the team will deliver, Kansas can be down twenty five points at halftime, as we saw in the national championship game last year, and they can come back and win a game. and And they've done it so many times over, they don't really care. So Kansas is a sure thing for me. The number two team, as far as my ten percenters, there's four of them. Houston, um, Houston, just because. 
because of their physicality, um, just because they're going to play harder than anybody that they go up against and they expect to win. Um, I like the talent on Houston. I worry about the ball pressure when teams are, you know, pick up full court with them. They, they have a tendency to get a little bit sporadic, and, and that worries me. And that's why one uh, one game I would look out for, and this is uh, if the tournament is who the committee is who they used to be, they'll probably do this. If they put State, NC State at an 8-9 and they put Houston as the one, I think we there's a chance we get a 40-year anniversary. Of no Houston. way. What a thing. Now do it. See, I like that's the human element. The computers don't know about that. They're not going to involve that. That's a matchup I like. That's a that's a fun matchup. So that that would worry me about Houston if they get a draw like that. Uh, the third team would be Alabama. There's obviously all the off the court stuff uh, with Alabama, so it's kind of taken away from the fact that they absolutely dominated the SEC and they are one of the most talented teams we've seen in a long time. And Alabama's best, their ceiling might be better than any anybody's best in the country. So Alabama's. A, a really I agree, but I have to apply some cynicism to that. I okay. do think that that wears down 19 year olds. All the questions. I mean. You know, what you hear about that from pro level athletes all the time, too. Like, oh, it's a distraction having to answer questions. Imagine being a kid down there. I think at some point that just wears them out. It's only going to get worse. It's not I like it's going to go away. Every single round that they like, and once they get to the Sweet 16, it's going to be more and more heat. Once they get the elite, you know, more they, media shows yeah, up. Right. God forbid exactly. they make the Final Four, it's going to be mayhem. And that's all. I mean, we're going to have so many stories focusing on that. So, and then the fourth team of my 10% would be UCLA. I think just with Tiger Campbell is one of the the, there's probably five or six point guards that I truly trust in college basketball. And Tiger Campbell has been around for about a decade. So there's a reason to trust him, but he, he checks all those boxes and I love Hami Hawkins. So those four are my 10 percenters. Um, and then from there, these are teams that I think could just win the national championship, but maybe not the better, the best odds. Baylor, um, is a team that I think everyone is a little bit forgotten about. They got one of their best defensive players back, Chachua, who has been great for them. Arizona, who we mentioned and talked about before, I think Arizona could win the national championship. Creighton, Creighton has one of the best starting fives in the country. Hmm. They have this guy, Ryan Kalkbrenner, 7-1, just one back-to-back defensive players of the player of the year in the Big East. He's a guy that missed seven games because he had mono. So, you know, Creighton lost seven straight. A lot of people wrote them off, but it's because they didn't have Kalkbrenner, who was their rim protector. Kalkbrenner. The mono guy, huh? Mono right. Cockbrenner. I love it. <laughs> Great name. Uh, so Creighton's in there. Texas uh, is in there. I think you could talk yourself into Texas. I mean, I Chris Beard, that's a whole nother. There's been a lot of situations in college basketball that are not fun to talk about because they're off the court. But Texas is a very talented team. They have a great backcourt. They have this guy, Serge Jabari Rice, their sixth man, who really plays starter minutes, but he's their sixth man. He's great. He's a great glue guy. He's a guy that can get hot from three and win you some games. Gonzaga uh, with Drew Timmy. I think a lot of mm. people, for whatever reason, have forgotten the fact that Drew Timmy is a really, really good basketball player. Uh, top five player this year, in my opinion. And uh, Mark Few, if you get him to the tournament, he usually delivers, despite all the people that think Gonzaga does not deliver because they haven't won a title yet. I think that's an interesting play because people have probably now fatigued a little. Yeah, yeah. They, they well, all right, we know what Gonzaga is. They're on to something different. Right. But Timmy Wright makes them. Uh, I, I I hear your noise on that one. I like and, that. And, and guess who they're on now? I think they're on St. Mary's, who's also mm-hmm. in the WCC. And St. Mary's has Randy Bennett, one of the best coaches in college basketball. I think he's third right now in active wins in college basketball. Someone that knows how to get it done. And you remember last year, the Hoosiers, Indiana, played St. Mary's, and that was an absolutely blitzkrieg. I mean, they they just blew them out. So St. Mary's is going to be a really tough team. I think they have a shot. They have a good shot. Can Love their kid. I I can't think of their. Uh, 
Yeah. Aiden Mahaney. He's he's the best. And uh, he's just a fun player. I feel like Aiden Mahaney could get like Steph Curry treatment in the tournament where he gets hot and America falls in love with him. I agree with that call. That's a that's a fun one. He's a, somebody to look out for. So there you go. St. Mary's is in that list. Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky looked great wow. in the regular season game against Arkansas. I think they have a lot of talent. I think they figured some things out. I think uh, Jacob Toppin is playing some great basketball right now. And they've been going to this 2-3 zone, which we all know is very basic. But for whatever reason, it's really working for this group. Um, it's kind of gotten them a little bit of an identity. So I think Kentucky is in that group. Marquette with Shaka Smart uh, is in that group. Uh, they have one of the best point guards in the country, Tyler Kolek, who averages eight assists per game. He's a very under-control player. If you put pressure on this Marquette team, um, they like that because they want to speed the game up. They want more possessions. They force a lot of turnovers. My only concern with Marquette is if they play a team like Purdue with the size or Arizona with the size, they don't really have the size to match. So that's my only concern there, but I think they have a chance. And then my, my final one, or final two, I should say, Miami. Um, with their backcourt, who uh, they got together with Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong, um, and then Jordan Miller, their small forward, who, who's a really good player. I worry about Miami's defense, but I think they have the, the talent to make a Final Four run and potentially a, a championship run. And then the last team, I think this feels like a year where this program wins a national championship just because there is no surefire team, and that's the UConn Huskies. I think Connecticut... Mm has a very, very talented team. Um, I, they had a little bit of a skid in the Big East, but four, four or five games in a row where people were like, okay, this team is not who we thought they were. But I think they're a really talented group. Um, they have the size with Klingen um, and Sonogo. They, they can match up with anybody in the country. So in general, I feel like in a year where the, nobody really knows what's going to happen, uh, Connecticut usually thrives in that environment. And if UConn uh, doesn't win the NCAA or doesn't make a run in the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't be shocked if they won the Big East tournament. They're just that type of team. They went to the, the Phil Knight Invitational and won that. I always look at teams that win tournaments early in the year, and that kind of lets me know what teams are built to win tournaments at the end of the year a team like Arizona that goes to the Maui Invitational it wins you have my attention you know a team like UConn like I said you have my attention so just in general I think that would be my my big group and then one uh big just throw it and see what happens is Kansas State uh Kansas State is a a team with Jerome Tang who is a national coach of the year candidate he's been great all year they're a very tough group and uh you know we saw Kansas State you know go to an elite eight um a few years back with Bruce Weber so they're they're not afraid of the moment they've been in the moment they obviously deal with Kansas as their rival with the best team in the country best program in the country so uh that would be my final team to say hey why, why not throw a flyer on Kansas Kansas State and see what happens Awesome stuff. You left out the Pitt Panthers. Jamarius Burton, <laughs> look out, man. He, he, he can, uh, he's a matchup nightmare um, down there in the paint. Yeah, that mid-range game's a killer. I, I, I just hope they get in. It was, it was such they a They got to get in. If they don't it was such it, a fun season. Just put them in anyway. Come right. on, committee. Right. Do the right thing. Hey, Bill Simmons did the right thing because now everybody gets to hear Tate Frazier once again on One Shining Podcast. People are going to be riding it real good, especially for this next month. We appreciate the little sneak peek at what's upcoming for our eyeballs. Muzzle tough to you on the return to the ringer and everything else good going for you. Maybe the Tar Heels have a run in it for you yet, but, you know, it's an embarrassment. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath, but uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to jump on with the against all odds 
Pods crew next week. Hear what Harry has. You know, Harry's always got a few bets for me that I, that I got to lock in on and some teams. Like, I feel like Harry's the type of guy that loves San Diego State. I'm not sure about that. I haven't talked to him about it, but he might be the one that throws San Diego State out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Happy to be, uh, you know, back in the Ringer universe. And, uh, you know, it's fun to talk talk basketball with Bill Simmons again. You know, we, we've been texting all, you know, these past three years about basketball. And uh, it's nice to be back in an official capacity. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, I won't hold you up here in the off season. Good off season content is 20th century college basketball teams versus 21st century basketball teams. We'll revisit that when there's more runway for us until then. Thanks for the time, Pally. We appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thanks spaghetti. And now a quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, from college basketball, hope you just got some best bets from from Tate there. Now let's move on to some best bets in the other big-time sporting event. An interesting part, a category in the game of life is movies, and the Oscars are upcoming this weekend. It's the Super Bowl for moviegoers, a guy who likes to talk about or make fun of people who pretend that they don't know what a Super Bowl is. So this is a an interesting irony to talk to him about what is kind of his Super Bowl because he's a, a cinephile. He is one half of the film vault. You know him from the Adam Carolla show and beyond. It's bald Brian. What's happening, Pally? Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm fine. Better for your company now. Let's oh, dig right. in on some of these movies. Let's start at the top of the list. Let's jump to the very end of the Oscars, hosted once again by Jimmy Kimmel, who you've met once or twice, I believe. Indeed, as have you. Yes. And um, I have you've I assume goes without saying Bald Brian has seen all of the nominated best pictures. Yes. Yes. In fact, this is this was a nice uh, year where when the uh, nominations came out, I had already seen all the best picture nominations. There are there are plenty of years where I got to catch up on one or two. This happened to be one where I'd seen them. As I see the odds right now, everything, everywhere, all at once is the prohibitive favorite, minus 700, second um, best odds out there, Banshees of Insurine. Uh, in Insurine. I don't know. Listen, I watch the movie and I hear what they say and I still, his name uh, um, is, uh, the lead is, it, it looks like it's Pedrack. Oh, but, but it's Padre. It's Padre. It's Padre. Padre. Padre is how they say his name in the movie. Padre. Yeah, I, I, I can't decipher the the, the thick nineteen uh, twenties era Irish accents. Are you surprised by the fall of Top Gun? Because I think two months ago, 
that sounded like there was getting to be some momentum behind that. Like, hey, it ain't a bad thing that the that the most popular movie um, resurrected the movie industry. Ergo, we should honor it. Is it weird to you that it's dipped? It's now down there at plus um, plus twenty nine hundred to win Best Picture. In other words, it's not going to win in all likelihood. It's fourth uh, shortest odds. All quiet on the Western Front has the third shortest odds out there. How say you about Top Gun? I, it's interesting that you mentioned All Quiet on the Western Front because I think um, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised by the, well, I guess I am. What I'm saying is I'm surprised that it hasn't gained more momentum, Top Gun. Um, I thought that might be a movie that did just because this happens to be a year where there's not very many great movies, but there's a lot of good movies. Every every movie nominated for, for Best Picture is a, is a good movie to varying degrees, including Top Gun and All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, and I'm surprised it didn't gain a little more momentum as uh, award season, you know, but it tur- turned along. In fact, some of the awards that it's up for and was favored for early on, it's sort of taken a little bit of a dip where other movies seem like maybe a better bet at this point. Um, but that said... Uh, I think all, if you're looking, so you're right. Uh, all, uh, everything everywhere all at once is the big favorite to win best picture. Deservedly so in my opinion, it was a wildly original, um, a real breath of fresh air, well-made while well, everything about it is the closest we're going to get to a great movie this year. If it does, because of the ranked choice voting, you often see a movie sneak in that you're like, huh, that that's best picture. All right. My money, again, I think the the smart bet is everything everywhere all at once. But if you wanted to bet on a long shot, I don't think All Quiet on the Western Front is a bad bet only because it resonates with older voters. Uh, it's a mm. very much a throwback movie. It's a war epic, a World War One epic, which we don't see too many of. Um, and it's a, also just a really good movie. So while I do think everywhere, everything everywhere all at once takes home the statue for Best Picture, uh, if you're, you know, looking for a fun uh, long shot, you could do worse than all quiet. Fourteen to one, like we say, that is a fun bet, and you're in it all night long because that's the last sure. award handed out. So I guess it's worth it. I liked uh, Banshees quite a bit myself. Um, Fablemans, I liked. I haven't seen Tar. Do I need to? <laughs> Tar is a very tough recommend. It's a, it's an exceptionally well acted movie. Um, Kate Blanchett, we can talk about it in a second if you want. She was an early favorite to win Best Actress, and she's still, you know, neck and neck with Michelle Yeoh. Uh, but uh, just a performance for the ages. The movie's like two hours and 45 minutes long. It's a character study. It's real light on plot, um, which is hard. To, it's a big ask when you're asking someone to pay attention for two hours and 45 minutes to a movie with not much plot. Um that said, it's it's good. It's Todd Fields, uh, the director, writer, is a master uh, writer director. But um, yeah, it's a tough recommend, man. I can't recommend it to anyone aside from completionists who want to see every Oscar movie, or you know, weirdos like me who just like seeing everything comes out. I don't know if this counts as a hot take. I don't like biopics as a general rule. I don't really? know why they 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 they, you're they in don't minor- do you're in minority it. on that one. I know I am obviously look at the movies they put out, but I, I, I don't, uh, I don't love um, generally what I did love. And I think I'm kind of in the minority on this. It's probably like a 50, 50 split. I thought the curious case of Benjamin Button, and, and by the way, I, as you know, I, I ignore um, the space time continuum. I focus mm-hmm. on the movies I've watched most recently. Sure. And that's one of them. I thought Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt and that were dynamite. And I thought it was a, 
I don't know why we needed or why I needed or the storyteller needed to um, come up with that high concept, but it, it revealed some interesting parts of the human condition that growing in opposite directions at each other and meeting in the middle, Pitt and Blanchett revealed some stuff about uh, Buddy, the human condition I'd not you, considered. You and I are in lockstep. I, I love Benjamin Button. I'm I'm above market on Benjamin Button. It, it was nominated for like 12 Oscars. I know was, people act like people, it's boring. I know yeah, Spill Simmons, the aforementioned one, finds it snoozy. I thought it was dynamite. No, far from it. I think it's I think you're absolutely right. The, the, I I, I want to say I'm gonna reveal my ignorance here. I want to say it was a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It, it's, a, it's a famous novel or novella from you know turn of the century hmm. uh and adapted by david fincher etc cetera, etc cetera. um but yeah I, I agree i find profound meaning in you know the the two people who whose lives run parallel but in different directions and there's this one moment where they meet uh later, right. in later in life and everything's perfect but you know you know by the nature of benjamin the character benjamin button that that moment is fleeting and you know it's it's, it's a lesson in valuing you know what you have at that moment it's it's so right and rare i think you would probably say this about even great movies that the third act is maybe the strongest of all it's the most emotional i mean i guess Third acts tend to be the most emotionally impactful, but there was something about that that I, I thought that was the strongest stretch of the picture, that early third act yeah. when they do finally get together. I um, agree with you. Well, let me just say I agree with you. I think the hurricane, remember there was a hurricane that was going on. It was being told through a third party. I thought that was unnecessary. That said, the third act, uh, I'm not going to give away the ending to someone who may not have seen it, but when... Um, when the uh that when their uh interactions come to a conclusion i found that very poetic yeah yeah and even the stuff that could have gotten real creepy in the at towards the end of the movie when he's like a 12 year old kid somehow that plays yeah. at least in my opinion all right best actor i've heard you say this before you think it's going to be brendan fraser for the whale right i uh, yeah so when i i've seen the whale I, i've seen all these films mostly in the theater and when i saw the whale, I was convinced. I'm like, well, there's your best, there's your best actor winner. I still think Brendan Fraser is going to win, but he's not anywhere near the, no pun intended, the heavy favorite that uh, I anticipated. Um, he's not that far separated from Austin Butler, who played Elvis, of course. Now, and was great as Elvis, one. And two, Brendan Fraser should be dinged because I was bummed out because I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, wait. That looks like prosthetics. Those are prosthetics, right? I thought he had gained all that weight, but but in fact, it was a bit of a fat suit that he wore. So that's he didn't even he didn't even make the De Niro weight gain commitment. So fat, he I say. Put on six hundred pounds. I don't. Well, listen. Yeah, that's right. That they, the other people have done it. Charlize Theron did it. She she uglied herself up in exchange for an Oscar. Frazier could have gained the. Uh, Three bills, at least. They could have. Okay. He could have gained more weight, is my opinion. Meantime, I do want to say about Austin Butler and Elvis as a movie in general. Here, this maybe is a hot take. This goes against your whole biopic take. I want to hear this. Well, well, that was because it, it, it's a, a, a particular kind of biopic. Um, I think that that movie would have been better off. Forgive me for saying one of uh, one of the treasures of society. Better movie without Tom Hanks. How say you? Shouldn't have, shouldn't have cast him. Shouldn't Unnecessary cast him? is the Colonel. Distracting. It was Tom Hanks in a fat suit. 
affecting an accent, just cast a, a good actor. It would it it distracted me from everything else that was happening. How say you? I, I'll meet you halfway and say that while I thought Tom Tom Hanks was uh, fine, in fact, I thought he was above average as uh, the Colonel Tom Parker. It was interesting that a movie called Elvis was really more about the Colonel Tom Parker than it was about Elvis Presley. Um, I thought that Austin Butler was doing a serviceable, in fact, above average impression of Elvis. I don't know that his performance was anything special. There's no moment in that movie where I'm like, yeah, that's that's the clip they're going to show at the Oscars. Like, no, he, it's a stylized, fun impression. It's, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's one to remember, but I don't know if it's Oscar worthy. I hear you. No, I don't think the picture deserves to, you know, to, to win a, a ton of awards or anything. I think it was a very, you know, as, as uh, his movies tend to be, you know, very stylized kind of a thing. And I thought it updated Elvis in a way I, you know, he wasn't sure. doing a bad, as we've seen other people attempt to do Elvis. Sure. It plays as a, a lame Elvis impersonator. I didn't think that it was th that this was that I thought it was uh, maybe a little bit better. At least the performance of Austin Butler was better than you. You're going Frazier there. I'm going Frazier. At, well, I don't see minus 180 right now, somewhere yep. around there. That, that's yep. listen, I'll, I'll throw this uh, stat out for your gambling audience. Uh, it is very hard to uh, make any kind of significant money uh, betting on the Oscars. Uh, two years ago in 2021, Favorites uh, were uh, were seventeen and six versus underdogs. Seventeen Oscar favorites paid off last year. Favorites were twenty one and two. Like there are there are no underdogs mm. that you can bet on. It. It's it's uh, uh, relatively it's it's a difficult task. Thirty eight and eight over the last two years. Favorites versus. I'm underdogs. not steeped in in how the voting goes. Apparently, like you are. So there's no reason to expect any change. Then chalk. There's nothing. There's no wrinkle in the voting system that allows for things to slip through the cracks or you indicated that maybe one could with best uh, picture does the ranked choice voting where you'll see some weird vagaries with like, Oh, this film was expected to win. And in fact, it's, um, Oh, it happened. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank, but it happens where you're like, Oh, that movie is moonlight over La La Land is maybe a good example where La La Land was the favorite to win best picture. And moonlight was a bit of a long shot, but because, the voting is a bit peculiar for best picture. You'll see sometimes an upset or a, a weird thing happen. Um, but your best bet this year, let's talk to you. Do you want to talk about like best supporting actress? I'd like to hear it. Go ahead. I want to, I want to hear your best plays over these next couple of minutes here. And I do remember that moonlighting thing. That's when Kimmel and uh, Warren Beatty yeah, that's inspired right. to throw the whole thing out of whack. Right. That's and, then, and then at some point, Warren Beatty slapped Jimmy. Is that, no oh. way. That's not how it went. I'm getting my Oscar years mixed up there. Anyhow. That sounds uh, right. Yeah, I think I, I don't remember. That's rearview mirror stuff. Let's look ahead to this Sunday night. Okay. Best, you say best actress odds. Well, we can it talk is, that we can talk best actress real quick because that's the aforementioned Kate Blanchett from Tar. But Michelle Yeoh has uh very much overtaken her as the as the I mean minorly as the favorite, but she's come on strong. She won the SAG Award and for the acting awards, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress. SAG Awards are a great indicator historically of who's going to win. And uh, Michelle Yeoh won the SAG Award, as did Brendan Fraser, which is why I feel fairly confident in those uh in those uh, uh bets. So uh, Michelle Yeoh at a slight favorite, you can still yeah, make a decent, uh, decent winning if you uh, take her. I do believe she'll win. 
Now, as prohibitive a favorite as there is, he's won all the awards that I'm aware of. Best Supporting Actor, Kehoi Kwan, who was short round in um, Indiana Ooh, Jones yeah. and the Temple of Doom. I tweeted at him in hopes of getting a response. No such luck. What do you think happened to short round? Because, of course, Temple of Doom is a prequel. It's 1932 or 1933, yeah, yeah. predating WW2. So... Dr. Jones and Short Round are doing their business, you know, they're they're on the on the on the rope bridge and all that. That's yep. five years prior to yeah. to to you know the world war over there out on the western front there. What do you think happened to Short Round? What did, you know, he's like 12 years old, and and then Dr. Jones, what do you think he dies? I forget he goes the context. I forget the context of Temple of Doom, which they ever identify short rounds ethnicity? Was he Japanese or Chinese or did they ever say? Because if he was Japanese, it would explain why maybe you couldn't leave Japan during World War II, the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a reasonable hypothesis. I like that. I'm and gonna, I'll, I, I'll point out with a new Indiana Jones movie coming out this summer, it would be a really good time to get him back involved in the franchise. Agreed. Agreed. I hope maybe I hope uh, I hope Spielberg considered that. Um, OK, best supporting actors. This is an interesting one because there is no favorite. In fact, the three uh, uh, the three top contenders are all at plus odds. Uh, Angela Bassett from Black Panther is plus one thirty five. Where'd you come down on Black Panther? It's OK. You know, That's no, exactly my, my, no, my thought. Nothing special. Six out of ten. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's objectively good. It's just nothing special. Um, Carrie Collins in from the aforementioned Banshees in a Sheeran at plus 175. And Jamie I liked her very much. I liked her great. very much. She was great. Jamie the Curtis is a late uh, late uh, charger on this one because she won the SAG Award. Again, a very good indicator of these acting awards. She's also at plus 175. Uh, Angela Bassett was an early favorite and has faded a little bit. I mean, she's still technically the favorite, but not like she was. Um, you could theoretically make some money uh, betting on Kerry Condon or Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Kerry Condon, the winner of the BAFTA Award, and Jamie Lee Curtis, like I said, the winner of the SAG Award. Both, both reasonable, uh, you know, uh, plus odds. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. It feels like one of those, you know, career achievement type I awards. I'm, I'm still a little miffed that Sly Stallone, as far as that goes, didn't get one when he had his shot way back for what? What was that? Was that for? Creed. Balbo oh, it was for Creed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He should have won then. I think Hollywood loves to do stuff like that. And um, sure. you know, the Stallone example notwithstanding. So that's yeah. A, that's a great example, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, sometimes you'll see uh if uh if if like for example, Carrie Hansen being um I think British or Irish, I'm sorry, I'm not sure which one, but you'll see a sort of European vote coalesce around one person and that could play in her favor. But if I you know gun to my head, I would put money on Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and lastly, I'm inter interested in your thoughts on best animated feature. I assume you see them all as we do at my house. When you have a little one, you tend to see all the animated movies. In fact, I want to make it a habit, a more regular habit, Eddie Spaghetti, of getting bald Brian on the show, especially in these upcoming non-football months. Please. And we can, we can, we can, I, the one I want to do with you is let's figure out win, play, show, the movies that didn't win the Oscar 
in a given year, but were better as you look sure. back and realize, sure. oh, well, that movie was obviously better than what 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 did win the Oscar. We got to figure that out. That's a that's a popular subject. But quickly, animated uh, feature. Oh, and that's the other one we have to do. We have to rank the best animated movies of the millennium. I think that would be a fun fair, one to do, fair. too. But lay it on us. What's your best bet there? It's, it seems like Pinocchio I mean, is a prohibitive favorite as well. Yeah, I, I, I would. This is a stay away category for me. I mean, unless you want to lay down. $2,000 to win a hundred, you'll probably win because Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a huge favorite at minus 2,000. It's won all the awards. Uh, it would be unthinkable if it didn't win Best Animated Feature. I liked I liked all these movies. Puss in Boots was very fun. Uh, Turning Red was a really good movie. The Sea Beast was good. I don't know the Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, while I think it was the best of these five, I don't know that it was so much better than the rest. It, it was, you know, marginally better, but uh, it's gonna, it's going to win. That, if you're doing an office pool, that's when you mark an ink. Book of Life. That's his finest animated picture. I love oh, that one. This one was not. You've seen Book of Life, yes? Yeah, yeah. That was nominated a few years ago. Yeah, that's that's what that's in my top three, I think, for the millennium of right. uh, among animated movies. Okay, last thing, bald. Before we let you go, what is a movie recommendation? It could be one of these, um, but what's the, you know I get one one of the Shecky categories is best movie I watched this year, and it doesn't apply to new movies from the year. It's a movie I watched in over the course oh, of the sure, past sure. year. You know, Last Picture Show won um, the Shecky <laughs> Award in twenty twenty two. What would you say right now? What's the movie people should watch? Best movie you've watched recently? Well, if I can sneak in a, a plug for uh, a movie podcast that I host uh, called The Film Vault, we actually do um, uh, top five non-new movies of the year, basically movies we caught up on from years past. And uh, I think maybe the best one I saw was a 1957 movie called A Face in the Crowd, starring a very young Andy Griffith as mm. a... Uh, uh, it's very relevant today because he's he's... He's a bit Trump-esque, and I don't mean in the book. What I, what I mean is he finds a way to uh, uh, coalesce a lot of um, goodwill around uh, his sort of everyman. I'm talking to the people, you know, and we'll come through the noise, and I'm talking to the people. It's very prescient. Elia Kazan directed it from 1957. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a timely movie by today's standards. Well, that's a good tip. Anything uh, Bald Bar Brian has to offer up in the world of movies, you should be listening to him. He mentioned the film vault. I mentioned it. I'm going to mention it one last time. Check it out. It's dynamite stuff. Really funny stuff as well. The way they chop up the world of pictures. If you're a movie fan, you certainly should be listening to that. Fix it if you haven't been. Bald Brian, what a treat. Like I say, let's make a, let's make a habit of this over the next few months. I'm in. I love it. The great bald Brian Bishop, of course, off he goes. Enjoy your Super Bowl, Super Bowl, whatever you like to call it, Super Bowl, uh, whatever. There he goes. Here we go to Eddie Spaghetti. Let's cut it off here. We'll be back in a few days with uh, with Kevin Hench um, to figure out everything that's going on in the world of sports. And you know what? I'm sure he'll have some thoughts on the upcoming Oscars as well. So we'll talk to you then. Until then, check out all the great programming on the Extra Points Network. And until Thursday, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>